Welcome to Where I Come From, a podcast devoted to Nebraska sports figures and the life experiences that shaped them. I'm your host, Dirk Chatlin, and this week's guest is Pat Vendetti, former Creighton Blue Jay and the only pitcher in Major League Baseball history to throw regularly righty and lefty. We talked about his first six-finger glove, getting cut as an eighth grader, his rocky start at Creighton, what made Ed Service's training so valuable, proving the Yankees' front office wrong, how he's adapted to today's long ball hitters, and the time he dissed ESPN's Rick Riley. One of the uh, opposing players' dads came up to my dad as he was leaving. I think he saw me with him. He's like, hey, your twins pitched a heck of a game today. <laughs> and my dad just kind of chuckled and said, thank you. First thing he asked me is he said, Pat, are you going to transfer? Yeah, probably one of the worst baseball days of my life, and that day was, it'll forever be in my brain. Well, if they're going to have these big high leg kicks and everything they're doing is timing-based, I need to be doing things to disrupt that timing. Just realize the people that walk through that, you know, visiting clubhouse there at Fenway, and it hasn't changed much. The clubhouse is tiny. You walk up those steps, and then you kind of see the, the lights, and it was, it was, it all kind of hit me then. This is where I come from. June 5th, 2015, a lot of guys make their major league de debut in, you know, Tampa or Texas or Colorado. Uh, you ran out of the bullpen at Fenway Park. Can you put me there that night? You know, it's, that whole day is kind of an unbelievable story in of itself that a lot of people don't know. What happened? So I got called up the night before in Nashville. Uh, that was the AAA affiliate of the A's, and it was my seventh full or sixth full season, I guess, in the minor leagues. And I had gotten pulled into the office that night. It was about 11 o'clock, and we had the national game of the week that day on TV. So, you know, usually in AAA, your games are maybe webcast, but this game was nationally televised. We were playing Salt Lake City, and the first the first thing that came to my mind. When I got called in the office, I thought, oh no, what did I say, you know, that was on TV tonight? Because there was a microphone down in the bullpen that I really didn't pay much attention to. And, <laughs> you know, guys in the bullpen, you can get on to talking about a lot of topics during the game that aren't usually family friendly. So it's like, what did my mom hear me say tonight? So I was a little nervous about that because honestly, getting called up was the, fur the furthest thing on my mind at that time. You had no clue? No, we had four guys out of the seven in the bullpen on the 40-man roster, and I was not on the 40-man roster, so I thought if they needed a guy, they would just take one of those four. So I got in, and you know my heart was racing. I was like, oh, what did I do? And um, you know Don Schulze, whose daughter played volleyball at Creighton, was my pitching coach, and he had kind of ushered me into the manager's office, and they played a little bit of a prank on me and said that, uh, you know, they asked me why I was going to take my out in my contract, which I had coming June 15th which is where if you're on a minor league free agent deal, you can work out and out to where you can go sign with another team if they don't promote you. And I said, honestly, you know, I like it here. I didn't tell them that I was going to stay. I didn't really get into all that. I was like, I haven't really thought about it, which was a complete lie. <laughs> and then they just responded by saying, good, you know, you're going to the big leagues. And at that moment, I, you know, it's, are you serious? Is this really happening? And, you know, we gave some hugs. And when I walked out of the clubhouse, every guy on the team was waiting there, you know, to see if I, in fact, got the call. Really? And once, you know, I gave them the head nod, the guys kind of, you know, gathered around me just because 
it's not often after six years in the minor leagues that you get you get that opportunity. And the guys understood what what I had been with, what I had been through, and they were just very happy for me. And you know, I'm kind of getting long-winded here because this no, doesn't even okay. get to to the day. So anyway, the flights are arranged. My wife was with me there in Nashville. She was living with me, so you know, I booked her on the same flight. I was on that next morning, and we were supposed to leave Nashville at 7:30. So this is about midnight now. We pack up my locker in Nashville, go to the apartment, get that all packed up. Now it's like, I don't know, four in the morning. <laughs> Finally, like, get to sleep. I maybe slept for a half hour, hour. I was so wired and excited. And we get to the airport in Nashville, and, you know, my first flight is delayed. And I'm like, whatever, that's okay. I have all day to get there. You know, it's just a quick layover in New York right to Boston. The way it worked out, flights kept getting canceled, canceled, canceled. I don't leave Nashville until, like, 3 o'clock. Three o'clock. I get into New York, have a quick layover. I land in Boston at 6.30 on a Friday night for the Friday night game. For a 7.10 first pick. Yeah. And I'm thinking, all right, they're going to probably have a car service waiting for me. Because when I was with New York, even when I was like in high AA, if I would have a doctor's appointment in New York, they would fly me there, have a car service waiting. But no, not with Oakland. I, <laughs> <laughs> I had to get a cab. So I had my big A's bag. I'm rushing out of the airport. It's probably like 6.50, almost 7 o'clock now. I hail a cab. And Fenway Park doesn't have a, a separate player's entrance that's really accessible once game time starts. So I get in there about 7.20. The game has already started. And I have to go into the main gate with all of the fans. And, like, they had told them I was coming. So they had alerted security, you know, to let me in. But... Obviously, there's a chain of command that they have to go through. So I'm just sitting there with my bag, just getting heckled by the Red Sox fans. Really? Yeah. Saying all, all sorts of stuff. And then with Fenway, it's one of the rare parks, too, where the locker room is attached to the concourse. So people are buying beer right by, you know, the visiting players' entrance to the clubhouse. So I'm getting heckled the whole way in there. And by the time that all gets sorted out, it's probably, you know, 7.30. And I had finally gotten there. It was probably by maybe the second inning by this point. And it was all going so fast. And I was, you know, nervous. All the emotions that I had going, it was crazy. And I was like, oh, there's no way I'm going to pitch tonight. You know, they're going to understand I didn't sleep had much you been last told, night. Had you been told anything? Like, I mean, they, is, is there – are you having any communication with either the manager or the pitching coach or the front office or anybody? At this point, the only person you talk to – after they call you up, the only person you talk to is the traveling secretary. Okay. So they're in charge of getting you there. And, you know, you have a hotel room that night, and, and that's about it. But I, And I didn't know what to expect. So I mosey in. So does anybody know you're late? Put it that way. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, they, they know that so all my flights are delayed. Okay. They know okay. all of that. And okay. they had told me about 2 o'clock I had already been added to the roster, so there was nothing they could do. Whatever time I got there, I got there. And, you know, if I missed the game, they would just play with 24 guys that night. Right. But I had got there, and I was like, you know, I'm just probably going to enjoy tonight. This will be nice to just kind of get acclimated. And I get out there, and uh, I, well, I go into the, you know, get changed and everything. I sign my contract because you're on a different contract that first time you get called up. Sign that. And I, you know, walked down the, the your uh, wife goes and sits in the stands. She, yeah, she she was there. She went and took all of my stuff to the hotel. She checked into the team hotel and then took a cab over to the stadium. And my parents had been in Boston since noon. Like my in laws, my parents, and all my family. Because they were flying from Omaha. Yeah, they got there from my in laws were coming from Peoria, Illinois. And my parents were coming from Omaha, so <laughs> they, they were in long before I was. And yeah, they were in the stands. And I just made my way down that tunnel, and you don't really think about it until you get there but you just realize the people that walk through that you know visiting clubhouse there at Fenway and it hasn't changed much the clubhouse is tiny it's the smallest locker room I've ever you know been in in professional ball and you go down that that hallway and 
you walk up those steps and then you kind of see the, the lights and it was it was it all kind of hit me then you know I went and shook Bob Melvin's hand the manager real quick Kurt Young the pitching coach talked to me real quick and then the guys from spring training kind of came up came up gave me a hug welcomed me and then uh, Stephen Vogt told me that for my initiation I had to go touch the green monster and walk all the way around to the bullpen the bull, visiting bullpens in right center and I was like no way do I really have to do that and luckily, he, uh, he's like, no, I want you to just walk out there slowly till you get to the line, take it all in. And then he said, I want you to give me the best show jog you have from here to the bullpen. <laughs> he's like, enjoy every second of this. So, you know, that's kind of a, a walkthrough of what, what happened leading up to that time. Um, but then I get out to the bullpen. By this time, it's probably bottom of the second, maybe the third inning. I didn't have time to stretch. I have a big pregame routine that I had done every day in pro ball, you know, since I got drafted in 08 with running and all these other things that I do. I didn't get to do that. But... Threw a few balls in the bullpen, played catch with the right fielder, and three innings later, the phone rang in a 4-2 game. They said, get ready, you're going in. And that's when, you know, you just, it's kind of like the fight or flight mode. And luckily that night I was able to just, just fight and uh, had a couple yeah, good so, innings. So 4-2, Boston leads 4-2, uh, seventh inning stretch. Yep. Uh, did you get the call? Like, did you have much time in advance or not? Uh, yeah, I had. I was getting ready a little bit in the sixth. Okay. And then I don't remember who started that night, but whenever they finished the sixth, uh, they had told me I had the seventh, regardless of the score. Even if we took the lead, I was going in. And part, that's, part of you is like, hey, thanks, guys, right? Like, <laughs> can, can you give me a day? <laughs> Honestly, you know, at that point, for guys that, that don't sign for a lot of money and, you know, don't necessarily have the fast track to the big leagues, that first game is extremely important because sometimes you don't get more than that first one huh. and I kind of knew deep down I was like if, if this is going to have any type of lasting effect I better have a good one tonight and especially with the two-handed thing you know you go there and you fail in your first outing people are thinking you know this guy he can't do this and all that so luckily that night I was able to uh, go in there and pitch a couple good innings did you go did you go lefty, right? I mean, I'm trying. I don't remember exactly. I don't know if I, if I remember it right. I know I, I faced Brock Holt first, who's a left-handed third baseman for him. I got him to ground ground out, and then Hanley Ramirez hit a laser off me <laughs> between uh, short and third, and then Mike Napoli. I, I got double to ground play. into a double play. That's right. And and you went righty against him. Yeah, righty against him. So I went left, right, right. And then, but after that first inning, I, you know, I felt the weight of the world off my shoulders. You know, if you can go there, throw up a zero on that stage, you feel pretty good about it. And that honestly made the eighth inning, I think, a little bit easier. I think I faced Mookie Betts and Swihart. I don't remember who else was. You the got third a strikeout out. in the eighth. Yeah, I was able to strike out Swihart. You know, you don't really forget that first strikeout. And I faced. I think the thing that helped me a lot too is I faced a lot of these Red Sox prospects coming up. So I had just faced Mookie Betts the year before. Swihart I had faced a ton. I had faced Brock Holt. It's not to where you're coming into a situation where you're facing guys that you've never seen before, maybe that you have on a pedestal, you know, where you're just kind of – It's not David Ortiz. Right. And, you know, he wasn't – I don't know if he was in the lineup that night or not, but I know I didn't face him. I never faced him in my career. And then Sandoval was also not in there. But it, that, that helped just to know that I could get these guys out because I had done it before. And I think that was uh, beneficial for me in my debut. I love how you remember so much of it. You know, isn't that just because it was so crazy that day? And you know, people hear about the debut and they, they don't understand what all went into it and all the the stresses and the things that led up to that. 
But luckily, everything worked out. That in day. some ways, maybe that was easier because you didn't have as much time to think about it, right? That's just true. Throw you out there. Yeah, and it's also nice to get into that first game you're in. You know, I've heard of guys going up there for seven, eight, nine, ten days, not getting into a game, and and then it makes things a little bit more difficult. But just get thrown right into the fire. That was uh, best case for me. Now, now I want to kind of go all the way back to the start. <laughs> Your dad is Pat Vandetti also, mm-hmm. and he was a baseball player, uh, even still kind of into his 60s right yep. uh played college yeah he played at Peru State okay. he's uh 72 now he's uh, getting ready for his over 70 tournament next week down in Florida so uh he's still ticking and uh, he, he loves the game and I think that's where I, I got my passion I was for gonna it. say he planted the seed huh without a doubt yeah with all the time he spent with me you know ever since I was three years old you know he'd be working out with me getting me, you know, better, obviously teaching me to, to throw left-handed because I'm a natural righty. But more than anything, yeah, I think it was the love for the game that he's passed down as well as the work ethic, you know, the coaching and things like that. He was never really a big coach for me. He was more just there to work work out with me. And, you know, he would have uh, Dan McGinn, who's a former Notre Dame uh, football player, baseball player, played in big leagues for a long time. He was kind of my pitching coach growing up hmm. and now uh, pitching coach at UNO. But uh, my dad was just there to, to work out with me. Because your dad's a P, he's a PE teacher? Retired PE teacher. Health about, instructor? Yeah, 20 years ago from District 66. I think he taught for 38 years. He's still doing driver's ed? He's, uh, he's the owner of the company, but I don't, I don't know how often he gets behind the wheel anymore. My sister and brother kind of run that. Oh, really? Yeah, but that's, he's been an entrepreneur his whole life. Uh, you know, we used to rent the bikes in the old market, and, you know, he owns some property around town. Now it's just kind of uh, his thing. So you grew up in Little Italy? Grew up there. Honestly, the first 19 years of my life happened in about a two-mile radius because I went to Central, I went to Creighton, and I didn't leave home for the first time until college summer ball my freshman year, which would have been in 2005. So I was uh, I was all in this little area of my whole life, and now my wife and I and our little guy, we, we come back here, and this is home for us, still in Little Italy. Uh- at three years old, as the story goes, you threw it, but you didn't throw it particularly hard. And so your dad just, he just kind of started experimenting, right? Like, hey, let's see what you can do left-handed also. Yeah. You know, when you're that young, you don't you don't know what your genetics are going to be like. You don't right. know if you're going to be, you know, have that God-given ability to throw 95. And I, I don't know how, how much my dad thought about that. I don't know if he ever thought, you know, he's going to throw this hard or that hard. I think he just wanted to give me an advantage that nobody else had. I think that was his kind of goal from the get-go, and luckily he did that for me because even now at 32, I throw low 80s left-handed and mid-80s right-handed. It's been the same pretty much since uh, I left Central. Now, Pat, <clears throat> in some ways your father is crazy, <laughs> right? People, uh, I mean, you, you have a you have a seven-month-old son. I'm not sure you will, you know, a couple years from now, will decide, hey, let's let's start let's let's start throwing both ways right no probably you know I, I don't know I haven't gotten that far into it yet a lot of it'll depend on you know where his interest lies right it's up to me he's gonna you know run the two for Creighton on the basketball team and lead them to the NCAA tournament right but uh, you know it's it's hard to say but for me I think more than anything I'll take the time that my dad spent with me and I'll spend that with my son hmm. as far as the two-handed thing I don't know I think with the advancement of training and knowing what I know now about you know, taking care of yourself, taking care of your body, I will be able to help my son better physically you know, than my dad was able to help me just because of the knowledge that's out there now. And you know, 
hopefully my son is as into baseball as I am and as, in, as into sports as I am, but only time will tell. Okay, so <clears throat> at seven years old, your your dad gets this idea for uh, for a two-handed glove, yeah. a six-fingered glove, basically two thumbs on, on each on each end uh, that you can you know wear with with either hand and he finds one in Osaka Japan <laughs> <laughs> yeah and he orders it online online I, I maybe think not there online. was no there was no online then I think he okay. uh, he traced my hand and faxed it I think any type of communication they had was via the fax machine especially over there to Japan and once that tracing was in about two months later I remember I had my first glove and it was that was another crazy story he ran into the Mizuno rep in San Francisco when he was out there so I came home or I went to the airport because they flew out of Kansas City I get to the airport and that's when I had my first ambidextrous glove and as a seven-year-old you're you're excited but you don't you don't understand you know how cool that is like I understand how it is now but yeah, that was uh, that was the first time I had my glove, and if it was all, it was all off of a hand trace. He flew to San Francisco to to pick it up. Well, he was out there. I don't know what he was out there for, okay. but I think it was just kind of coincidence that the Mizuno rep was out there and had my glove, so it was it just kind of worked out well for us there. How many of you had? How many of you had since? Wow, I don't know. You know, uh, I think the glove was about five five hundred dollars at the time. So it wasn't like I was getting one every year. You know, that's, that's an expensive venture. So I probably would say I would get one every three or four years when I was younger. And that continued through Creighton. Um, and then fortunately, when I was drafted by the Yankees, Mizuno picked, picked up my, uh, my glove contract, and they've provided me you know, two a year since then. So Were you a good player growing up? I mean, I know, <laughs> I know you weren't a great player. Yeah. Um, were, you, were you good when you were little? It's funny. Uh, I think from 8 to 12, I was really good. And then I have this vivid memory. We were in Millard, and I had gotten thrown out stealing first to second for the first time in my life. And I was like, well, maybe I'm not as good as I think I am. And from about 12 to 17, it was a constant battle where I was nowhere near, you know, the best player. And even even at Central, um, you know, I was maybe top five best on the team, but I wasn't even the best player at Central. I, I had to go to Central because I got cut from the prep team as an eighth grader. I went out to try to see if I could make the team, and I got cut. And, you know, it wasn't a thing where, you know, prep missed on a, you know, a good player. I was not ready to play. And had I gone to prep, I probably – I wouldn't even have made the freshman team just because of development. Wow. And my body wasn't uh, as far along as, as those guys. And they had Ben Mancuso, Tim Huber – bunch of guys that you know helped them to a couple state championships and I would have never played there so looking back going to Central which wasn't my first choice but now it's probably the best thing that ever happened in my life. Why was Central the best decision you ever made? Because uh, you know because I went from Central to Creighton private school to private school you see no no Central's public no no I'm, I'm sorry had I gone from prep to, okay. to Creighton you see a very uh, sheltered life. You're, you're, a shell, you're in a sheltered little zone where you don't realize maybe how, every, how, how life really is. Mm. I think that uh, that private school atmosphere, take it from high school to college, is, it's great for the academics, and for some kids it's, it's awesome. But for me, it was really an eye-opener to get to Central and to see how the majority of people really are. And, you know, you have every race, every background, and to just see how well that school functions and to see how people can get along and to 
you know, see how they interact on a day to day basis. That was big for me because when you get to Creighton, you're back to that, you know, kind of sheltered life. And, you know, that's that's really on any college campus. You're mm -hmm. in your own little bubble. And you don't really see much, much else beside that. But me going to Central, I think not necessarily just baseball, but as far as life goes, I will always take the life lessons I got from Central and, you know, the the teachers there, the, everybody there has played such a big role in my life, getting me ready for Creighton. It's uh, what what experiences stand out there? I mean, that you know, it obviously <clears throat> yeah. left an imprint on you. Yeah, well, from a baseball standpoint, my freshman year, the varsity team was three and twenty-seven. There was it's a basketball football school; it always has been. But we had a group of guys there that love the game of baseball. Um, we came in as a freshman class, and actually, when we left, I think we had eight or nine guys go on to play college which looking back is probably more than more than any other team in the Metro that year. So we kind of ushered in that first real change of central baseball. And I think that will, you know, have a lasting effect on me. And some of my best friends are still guys from that team. And, you know, from a from a social standpoint, it's just getting that that mix with different people seeing, you know, maybe just because somebody doesn't came, come from the same background you do, maybe doesn't have the same religious beliefs or, you know, come from a two parent home you find a way to interact with them and maybe a better way to deal with people on a day-to-day -day basis because of that, if that makes sense. Mm. Uh, your dad is a teacher. Did your, what did your mom do? My mom, ever since I, I have a, like a brother who's almost 50 years old, so she was a nurse okay. when he was, a, he, he was first born. And then ever since I was born in 85, she's been a stay-at-home mom. The reason I ask is how did you afford to walk on a Creighton? Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's that's another thing. My dad is uh, he's an extremely hard worker. He's uh, been an entrepreneur his whole life. He's had the driving school since Cornhusker Driving School since 1966. Um, and then on top of that, he had a, a fruit market on Center Street. He rented the bicycles, and he's kind of been uh, he's been into real estate his whole life as well. He's you know he's got some properties in the old market here, and. Uh, you know, he's 72 years old, and he, he still uh, he still has quite a bit on his plate, uh, and he sent uh, three of us through Creighton, so we're, we're very lucky. Oh, your, your siblings went through Creighton, yeah, too. Yeah, I had two sisters that go th went through Creighton as well. This is what I love about your story, and this is what I don't <clears throat> think people really appreciate, is, yeah, there's the novelty part of it, but you were not, like, a big-time recruit. You, I mean, you came out of nowhere, pretty much. Yeah, and then I was going to go to Missouri Western out of— uh, I was, it was down between Missouri Western and Midland Lutheran to go there, and I think I had kind of zeroed in on Missouri Western, and I told my dad that, and I don't think he was very happy with that. I don't think he thought that you know, going to St. Joe, Missouri would be the best path for me, especially because it probably didn't seem like baseball was going to last after, you know, after college, but I knew I wanted to keep playing. And I was, uh, I was on our senior scavenger hunt with Central, and I got a call from Coach Service asking me if I wanted to walk on. And I was excited at the time, but I was like, I don't think I want to go there and sit the bench for three years. You know, I'm probably not going to get in the rotation much. So I went home and told my dad that I thought I was going to still go to Missouri Western. And he wasn't, he wasn't very high on that. So, you know, he kind of had a little intervention with me, and we decided that I would go to Creighton because he thought that would be the best for me. And, you know, uh, looking back, that was by far the best thing for me as well. But uh, when I got onto campus, I was a walk-on. Coach, the only thing he did was guarantee me a spot on the team. The travel roster was something that I would have to earn. And fortunately, I went out there and I had a really good fall. I think I, I surprised Coach Service a lot and surprised a lot of the guys. But once the springtime came, I failed about as bad as you could fail. I didn't pitch the first five weeks. 
and then the first game I got into was an absolute disaster down in Texas. It's, really? Yeah, it's something you never forget. But long story short, I, I didn't pitch. I didn't make it. How any. bad was it? I walked the first guy, um, and then I had a double play ball right back. To, no, actually, there was two outs. Come back or right to me. I overthrew first base. <laughs> and if you know anything about coach service, if you can't field your position, you do not play. You're rubbing your eyes right now, Adam, uh, like horror. <laughs> well, yeah, it was. Uh, it's. It's honestly. It was. Yeah, probably one of the worst baseball days of my life. And you know, I've had a, a lot of those since then. Just by, you know, that's how the game goes. But that day was. It'll forever be in my brain. And it couldn't have been an easier situation too to go into. We were playing, um, one of the Texas San Antonio or somebody like that, like a high school type field that reminded me a lot of Seymour Smith here in Omaha. And it was like five people at the game. It couldn't have been an easier transition. It's not like I'm at the Century Link in front of twenty thousand for the first time. Right. But it just that for some reason that day it just it didn't go well. And uh, that was my last time being on the travel squad until the conference tournament. We had a couple injuries and I had one good outing. It was the first time I had pitched since that day, which was maybe March. We're in mid-May, and I had a good game against uh, North Dakota State. I had a good clean inning, and we had two guys go down, Jeff Daniff and Mark Lewis, who are our starting pitchers, went down, which meant the bullpen had to pick up more innings, which propelled me into the, the onto the travel roster for the conference tournament. And I was so pumped because we were at Wichita State. I had missed the trip two weeks before when they were there, but I had always wanted to go to Wichita, and you know I thought I was I was ready to help us out. And we had a really good team that year. We went to the regionals, and uh, we got to the regional finals, and we were out of pitching. So it was me. I was into the game by the third inning with the chance to, to bring us our first Missouri Valley Championship, which is you know, surprising Creighton had not done it until that time. And again, I, I had a rough one. I really? walked a lot of guys, gave up a, a home run to a kid that had never hit a home run before, for which Blake <laughs> Hurl, but it never, I'll never forget that guy's name. And we didn't win that game. And it came down, it was because of me that you know we didn't win it. It was like a one-run game when I came in. And I think when we when we... When I came out of the game, we were down four or five, and we just never bounced back. But, you know, I think that experience helped a lot, helped a lot too, just because, you know, I knew things would have to change if I was ever going to help there. But So what was the turning point at Creighton uh, after that rough freshman year? You know, I, I don't know if this is going to embarrass coach service at all, at all or not, but I walked into my end-of-the-year meeting, and I sat down in the chair, and – I knew it, was, it wasn't going to be the best of meetings just because I, I hadn't helped the team like he had hoped for, and he took a chance on me, you know, just because, you know, there were guys on scholarships that didn't make the travel roster, and he took me over them. So he was a little disappointed in my performance, and the first thing he asked me is he said, Pat, are you going to transfer? Really? And honestly, that was the furthest thing from my mind. I was going down to play in the Jayhawk League, and uh, he said, I've had some Division two school, Division two schools call about you that, that could want you for next year. And that kind of caught me off guard. Um, at the time, I, I didn't, I wasn't upset about it, but I said, "No, coach, I have no, no plans on transferring. I love it here, and I want to see if I can help the team." And he said, "Well, okay. The first thing that's going to happen, you're going to have to change your body. You know, saying that, you know, obviously I'm not going to grow taller, but he, you know, he wanted me to get stronger in the weight room, lose some body fat, take care of myself a little bit better, maybe get in better shape." So I said, "Okay." And he didn't say another thing. He didn't say you have to work on your slider. You don't have to. You have to throw harder. That was it. He said, change your body. So I said, okay. <laughs> I w went out of the room, and I went down to Wichita that summer to play in the Jayhawk League. I only pitched like 18 or 19 innings the whole summer, and five of them were against a, a high school team. So it was a college summer league team, and the bulk of my work came against high school kids. But 
I had really changed my diet that summer. I had re- I started to run more. I started to lift lift weights harder, long toss more, do all the things, the little things that I wasn't doing before that maybe you don't realize you have to do as a 17, 18 year old. And you know that that meeting helped trans transform me. And like I said, it wasn't like I had some breakthrough outing in the Jayhawk League that helped me get through. It was just slowly starting to change my body and you know having knowing that I would have to earn coaches confidence again that fall that was kind of what what changed me a little bit your ERA freshman year was 14.7 yeah and in your defense it was a really small sample size three and two-thirds innings 11 hits eight runs yeah Flip side, you can't get much worse than that. So <laughs> the only place I could go from there was I up. want to know how many major league pitchers their freshman year of college have a fourteen point seven three ERA. You know, it's and I think I, I don't I didn't realize it at the time how bad that was. When you go from central to walking on at Creighton, I was so happy just to be a part of the team to you know, just to suit up because my dad had taken me to those games ever since Todd Winberg was the coach. I was his bat boy in ninety two Jack Dom, I remember sitting right behind the, the backstop there watching all those games, and I was finally in the uniform. Like, freshman year, I was on foul ball duty going to get the balls, but I didn't care because I was in the dugout, and I was just so happy to be a part of things that I don't think I really thought about the ERA that much. Hmm. Here's the cool part, though. Sophomore year, 3.02. So you go from 14.73 to 3.02. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a big jump for me. And I was actually in that first game of the season sophomore year. Um, we were at our Arkansas Little Rock, and I remember kind of like my big league debut. I was like, if I'm going to get more opportunities, I need to have a good one today, and it was. And I, I was just able to kind of build off of that. And that failure I had freshman year against Wichita State came full circle two years later when I was in the same exact opportunity. Um, we had gotten to the championship game of the Mo Valley Conference at Missouri State against Wichita State. And we lost the first game that morning. So it was that next game was for all the marbles because Wichita State came through the loser's bracket. We were in the winner's bracket. And we got back to the hotel, and Coach Service says, Pat, do you feel up to starting tonight? And I, I had maybe started one game before, and I was like, yeah, let's, let's do this. And Gene Stevenson at the time did not think that I could sufficiently get their left-handed hitters out. So he started seven lefties against us that night. Oh, wow. So seven of the nine guys I faced were left-handed. And I ended up having probably the best game of my college career. I think I went six and a third or six and two-thirds, striking out ten. And I left with the lead. We ended up, you know, losing that lead. But in the end, we won that game. And that was just kind of one of the more satisfying moments in my college career, beating Wichita State, who you come down to campus and watch them, you know, year in and year out beat Creighton. And that won us our first Missouri Valley Conference championship. And at that time, and even to this day, it's one of the most meaningful things that I've ever accomplished in baseball. When, when did you start pitching competitively with both arms? When I was seven. It was at K- okay. Kingswood Athletic Association. It was my first little league. And then I played CYL. I played a little bit of select. But it was, it was all the way through. And I'd never gone matchup to matchup. So left on left, right on right. That didn't start until sophomore year of college. Okay. So that's What were uh, you doing in the meantime? Just... Friday nights, I would throw left-handed in a high school game. Sundays, I would throw right-handed. You're trying to get good from both sides. Like, did you think about not doing it? Did it ever go poorly where you said, the heck with it, I'm not doing this today, or something like that? No, the closest I got to that was when I was 27 years old and I blew out my right shoulder. I'm sure we'll we'll get to that. But as far as getting 
I mean, as far as ever wanting to quit before that point, no. I just wanted to to get guys out the best way I could, and the only way I knew how was as a, a switch pitcher. So for me, that's that's been the, the that's been the one mainstay. So sophomore year at Creighton is when you kind of realized the power of it. Yeah, that was my first real taste of success. I had a little bit at Central, but if even if you look at my numbers at Central, they weren't eye popping. But yeah, once you get to that uh, to that level, and again, it was because of where I had come from, and you know maybe not having the best high school career, you look at that three three ERA or whatever it was three five. And you're like, oh, this is awesome. I'm playing Division One baseball. Like, I'm helping Creighton, you know, the school I always wanted to go to. And that, you just kind of build off of that because you're, you're so excited every day. <clears throat> uh, as a junior, you, you threw 44 scoreless innings in a row. Yeah. It was, you were getting good. <laughs> yeah. That was, uh, that was honestly, that was the point to where I was like, oh, well, maybe I could play at the next level. Um, that, uh, that 2006 summer, I went to Quincy, Illinois. I played in the Central Illinois Collegiate League, and I had a pretty good summer. And that summer ball is really when the scouts kind of come out, and you can actually have interaction with them. And I kind of knew then, like, oh, this this could work. But then junior year, I went to the Northwoods League, and that's when, you know, that's kind of the Northwoods League and the Cape Cod League are your two big college summer leagues where a lot of guys get drafted out of each league. And once I had a good summer there, I thought, all right, well, you know, maybe uh, I can get even. I can get drafted even higher next year because, as a, I think it was the 45th round, I wasn't going to get you know any type of money to where I should you know not go back to Creighton my senior year. You came back and you got <coughs> picked in the in the 20th round, and it was the Yankees again. Mm-hmm. So they must have been intrigued enough to, to pick you <laughs> twice. Yeah, you don't see that a lot. No, and I didn't. I didn't think I would go to them again. Um, I don't know where I thought I would go, but I, you don't think the same team's going to pick you again. But they did, and they drafted me. If you look at the draft logs, they drafted me as a right-handed pitcher. Hmm. So they called, and uh, the, the scout that, that called me said, you know, we drafted you as a righty. If you can get lefties out, fine. But we have you because of the, the stuff that you possess from the right side. So they weren't necessarily interested in what you were doing at Creighton, No, huh? that was it. It was, uh, you know, it's kind of a sink or swim. If you come to pro ball and pr- prove you can pitch both hands, we'll let you do it. But if not, you're going to pitch right-handed. I said, okay. And I was, again, just I was happy to, you know, go to New York, go to Staten Island and start with the, uh, the Rookie League. And that's where I had a, a really, probably my best professional season to date was that, that first little short season stint there in Staten Island and Rookie Ball where I was closing for the team and, you know, everything kind of came together for me. If you go to <laughs> YouTube, which I'm sure you've done it once or twice, <laughs> you're, a wee, you're a few games into your minor league career. Uh, you just got drafted. You're playing for Staten Island against Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. The Brooklyn oh, Cyclones. The Cyclones. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and there's a classic, you know, there's a rule for everything in baseball except this situation. And uh, there's a switch hitter. You're the switch pitcher. Uh, there's an umpire coach manager debate about, you know, who has to declare first. It does not appear that there's anything really written in the rule book. You have been through this, though, several times in high school and college. I would imagine you knew exactly what, what the rule was, <laughs> didn't you? Were you just well, not telling everybody? There was what? no rule in place at the time. And <laughs> we had had that same fiasco where I was switching back and forth. The hitter was switching back and forth with Nebraska. It was in a midweek game. That's right. Mike Anderson came out and course he won that argument you know they it was in Lincoln so he got the uh the benefit <laughs> of the doubt there and uh in pro ball there was no rule so our bench coach there said you know what just keep switching back and forth so they make you stay 
And that night, they made the hitter stay, and I got to pitch, I think it was right-handed, so it was right on right. And as a switch hitter, you never see breaking balls from a right-handed pitcher. So I was able to strike out that, the, the guy that I faced with a less than you know stellar breaking ball, but it didn't matter because they don't see it. Next morning, I got the bad news that I had to declare first, which in the end, it, it's not the worst of things, but it, it would have been a huge help to me had I, you know, if the hitter has to see something that they never see. Didn't work out like that, but whatever. Can I tell <clears> you <throat> what I think? I honestly think you should be able to switch, like, even pitch to pitch. Like, I, I don't know why there's any rule at all. It's, it's so hard when you're the only one. You know, I don't know how many switch hitters there are in the big leagues, but there's a ton more switch, switch hitters than there are switch pitchers. So it's easy to just say, hey, you know what? Your rule is going to be that. Just deal with that. And it's, it is what it is. It's fine. Well, think of the advantage of being able to, like, you know, you get to a – you throw three pitches to, to a batter and then switch. Yeah, it's, it would be something that they never see. And more than anything, it's not the break of the pitch. It's not anything. It's just the mental aspect because there's – the biggest thing in professional baseball is the mind. You know, for these hitters, for these pitchers, just have something else in the back of their mind. I know if the hitter switched mid at bat, I'd be like, what's going on? And that would definitely throw, you know, throw me for a loop mentally. Like, it would take a pitch or two to get back into it. But, and honestly, if I could switch, I don't know how much I would just because I throw sidearms. So I really need that, you know, ball, the breaking balls going away from them as a righty and same as a lefty. So I, I don't know how much I would switch. I think I would use that more as just a, as a mental edge what are the what are the drawbacks of the novelty maybe it's how teammates react maybe it's you know just dealing with telling a story over and over maybe it's like hey people don't actually appreciate that i can get people out like you know it comes with the territory anytime you're different there's always going to be people who doubt you who say oh this can't be done and especially when it's not done a lot you know in the professional level um you know, you, you have that doubt with every every single team I've gone gotten to. I've had to, to prove that I can get guys out both left and right-handed, and rightfully so. It's it's how the game goes. I would say drawback-wise, it's not the it's not the two-handed thing that's that's been you know that made it so hard for me to get to the big leagues. It's the fact that I throw 80 to 83 miles an hour left-handed and 84 to 87 right-handed. If I'm throwing 92 to 95 like most guys who get drafted you know, this isn't even a, an issue. So I think it more or less came with my natural ability and that that's been the hardest thing that I've had to overcome just because not only am I different in the fact that I pitch left and right handed, I don't possess pitches that are going to grade, you know, super high on the 4080 scale. It's just, that's not who I am. Yeah. I just, it was interesting to me reading <clears throat> old stories. Like this one's from the New York times in June of 2009. So your first full minor league season. And Mark Newman, the, the Yankees' senior VP for baseball operations, is basically telling the New York Times, hey, don't get too excited about this. <laughs> he says it's fair to have some skepticism. The uniqueness only has value in terms of how it translates into getting big league hitters out. This isn't a freak show. It's a get hitters out show. We're looking for New York impact, not Charleston impact. <laughs> and that, that theme is pretty consistent like in the early years of stories about you, it's like uh, it was weird because it was almost like people didn't give you the respect for getting people out. You know, it was like they looked at what you're talking about, you know, with 
fastball velocity and stuff like that. They, it was almost like they were measuring you more on that than than the fact that hey, this guy's he's got low ERAs and low whips and he's getting people out. Like, did you ever sense that? I knew that from the get go. It's it's just the way the game is, and now. 10 years later, even more so, where they're so intrigued with velocity and, you know, all of that other stuff. I knew that if I was going to ever get an opportunity in the big leagues, it was because I had great numbers from rookie ball, low A, high A, double A, triple A. I knew that was my only path. And you were going to have to go through every step, right? And and I knew that. I I knew that from the get-go. And I I read that. I I saw that article. But that wasn't anything new to me. Um, I, I knew that that was going to be the case. And it's not just me. It's not just because I pitch left and right handed. It's not like he said those things because of that. He said those things because I was drafted in the 20th round as a senior, you know, very little signing bonus. That's just not a very conducive path to the major leagues. And I knew that. And it's still to this day. I, I have these same battles to fight every year. And it's just it's the player I am. And I realize that I have to overcome those things. Do you remember going into Yankee spring training? And I think, what, 2010? Yeah, I do remember that. That had to be an eye-opener. That was awesome. Um, I I didn't even pitch that great that day, but it was uh, my second, third spring training, uh, 2010. Uh, The the same guy, Mark Newman, had told me that I was going to go back up uh, the bullpen in, I think it was Orlando. We were playing the Braves, and CeCe was starting. And I was so excited just to, you know, get on the bus because at the time I was in minor league camp, so I got to go over to, to Legends Field, get you know get dressed with the big leaguers in the clubhouse there with, you know, A Rod and Jeter, and we take the bus down and I yeah I went in after CC. I actually got to throw to Jorge Posada that day. Um, I didn't have my best stuff. I think I went like one and a third innings, gave up a run, but that was that was a very cool experience that day. What was the reaction of the guys in the clubhouse? You know they were they were surprised, but they had seen me before. You know because okay. I had had a couple good seasons in the minor leagues and. You know, there were some stories done to where, you know, they would see that in New York. There was an E60 done where I think the guys saw that. And they, they were cool about it. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's a spring training game. Those guys are just trying to, to get home. Was there ever any uh, tension with teammates about all the media hubbub? I don't think so, no. Uh, maybe early on with the uh, the rookie ball guys, just not, not necessarily with the media, but anytime you have kids between 19 and 23, it's a it's a free-for-all and you know you don't like certain guys certain guys don't like you it's just how it goes but once you get to double and triple a all of the guys that kind of act like that are weeded out and it's it's more uh it's more enjoyable then Mm. um i was interested in that you had you had different motions for the you know you like you said you're throwing you were throwing sidearm lefty more over more more overhand righty Did, did did the mechanics did they do they translate? I mean, or do you kind of have to learn to pitch in two different ways? Yeah, it's, it's two different deliveries. It's two different feels. If you look at my right-handed delivery, even now, I use more of my backside than I do on my left. I just kind of sling the ball left-handed, if you will. Uh, but it is two completely different deliveries that I've just kind of come, become accustomed to. I don't try to make them the same. I just allow my body to work and go off of that. One of the advantages of this is durability. Uh, you know, you grew up throwing, being able to throw more pitches than other guys. Um, and then in 2012, you had your first real significant injury, right? Yeah, it was. Uh, what happened? That was a blow. I had, uh, so that would have been my fourth season. 
and I, I was making my way up, not super fast, but I had, you know, been a level a year, and even I even went two levels in one year, so I was very pleased. Yeah, yeah, I was I was on my way to, you know, having an opportunity to showcase what I had and possibly get called up at the end of that season. That's how I felt, and it was in spring training, and we were at the Phillies complex. I was on the minor league side, and I felt my shoulder go out on one pitch. It was intense pain. It was one one pitch gone, and. I knew it at the time. I knew that it was some something that I had never felt before. But this is late March, and I was going to go in the next day and say something. But that morning, I got called into the office, and they said, "Hey, you're going to be one of three guys here in minor league camp. You're going to go open. My, you're going to go open Marlins Park with a big league team." So I was like, "Oh, I'm not saying anything today," <laughs> because Marlins Stadium was about to open down there. And uh, you know, we went down, stayed at the Epic Hotel on Miami Beach. It was obviously something I'd never experienced before. My wife now was, was my girlfriend at the time, was down visiting, so she got to come down. It was unbelievable. I didn't get in in Marlins Park, um, and luckily so, because I, was, I wasn't even playing catch right-handed. I thought if I have to go in, I'll just throw in the bullpen, and whatever I got, I got. And at the time- They would have known something was wrong when righties came to the plate, <laughs> and you're still throwing left-handed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would have been bad news had I gotten in. But fortunately, I, you know, I didn't get in those games. I just got to experience the new stadium and life in Miami as a, you know, big leaguer, if you will, for a little bit for two days. It was awesome. And the other thing on top of that was I was supposed to go to double A. So then my plan was, OK, after this is series is over at Marlins Park, I'm going to say something. So these are exhibition games. Yeah, this is yeah, this, this is just the end of spring training. Open the park. Yep. OK. And then the season started. So I was supposed to go up to Trenton again, which I had been the year before. And that's when I was going to say something. I was going to say, hey, you know, I'm hurt. Can we, can we take a look at my shoulder here? But then I got a call as we were leaving Miami saying, Pat, things have changed. You're going to start in AAA. So this is my first opportunity in AAA. And I think to myself, well, I just need to find a way to figure out how to get through this arm injury. If I can, if I can pitch through it and get guys out, fine. And I went, I think, 12 innings to where I didn't say anything. And it got to the point where- You were throwing righty too? I was throwing righty, but oh my gosh. it was an absolute pain to get loose. And it was just kind of one of those things where in the bullpen, I was short hopping the catcher and I would need that game adrenaline just to kind of get through it. But it was excruciating pain. I knew something was wrong. So I finally had to say something and I did. And then they were like, okay, let's rehab your right shoulder. You're gonna pitch just left-handed. Perfect, I stayed in AAA. But then it got to the point to where I couldn't even like lift my arm right-handed. And I had to say something, and we went to, I went to Tampa for two months, tried to rehab it, and then it was mid-June. I had been up to New York twice for, to see two different doctors, and they finally said, you know what, this thing is beyond rehab. If you want to fix it, you're going to have to have surgery. And that's, that was really the first time in my career where I was like, well, I'm 27 years old. You know, I'm on the minor league minimum still. This is how it ends. Yeah, this is. Or my thought was I can, I can get this left-handed because – once pro ball started, I had that shift to where I'm seen as more of a valuable left-hander mm -hmm. um, because of the statistics that I've had. Anytime I've been picked up since Oakland with Toronto, Seattle, it was all as a left-handed reliever with kind of well, was kind of a flip-flop from, from my Creighton days. But Nardi Contreras, our pitching coordinator at the time with the Yankees, said, you know what, Pat, what separates you from every other guy in pro ball is the fact that you can pitch with, with two hands. My advice to you is to get the surgery, mm. take the time you need, and let's try to do this. Let's try to finish what you started. And that's when 
my doubt left. I was like, perfect. That's all I needed to hear. I'll find a way to get through this because it was 2012 and I was going to become a minor league free agent in 2014. So I knew that even if I didn't get called up, I would be able to go somewhere else in 2015. So that was kind of the plan since I had that surgery on June 20th in 2012. You missed a lot of 12 and 13. You pitched 14 AAA uh, with the Yankees, right? Mm -hmm. Did you ever feel like you were close yeah, with New York? Absolutely. I had gotten called up from AA to AAA in May of that year, and I got off to a really good start in AAA. And uh, it was maybe mid-June, and I had got a call saying that Cashman wanted to see me in longer relief appearances to see if I could maybe come up and be their long guy. There you go. And once I got that, that, and that was the first time since I had gotten drafted to where it wasn't you're just a minor league pitcher, like, hey, you may be able to go up and you're help a, New York. You're a prospect. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you're a 28-year-old prospect, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, that, that was that was good for my ego. That helped a little bit. It boosts confidence. And anytime you can get that boost, I think it, it helps your level of play. But it didn't – it never came. Uh, I would pitch three innings at a time, and I had decent numbers, kind of, you know, mid-three ERA, just where I've kind of been my whole AAA career. It's been who I am. But that year it wasn't enough. Uh, my agent called Cashman on August, late August, just to see if I would be a September call-up that year because they weren't in the playoffs. Like, they were out of contention. And he said, you know what, he's close, but unless a couple injuries happen, he's not getting called up. So I knew before the AAA season was ending – I was like, that's it. You know, I'm, I know I'm not going. So I ended up going to play with, with Team Italy there in September in the European Cup. And the big leagues had to wait another couple of years. <clears throat> Since you brought it up, you've played, you've pitched in two World Baseball Classics. Yeah. As, been, as an Italian. Yeah. Um, I was able to, to get Italian citizenship. They approached me in 2011. Um, and the Italian national baseball team helped me get my Italian citizenship, which has allowed me to play in European championships with them as well as the World Baseball Classic, which the European Championships are night and day different <laughs> than the uh, World Baseball Classic. You're playing gold medal games in front of 300 people in the Czech Republic where they barely know what baseball is. But that, that's a whole other story. I, I've been able to do that. And, you know, my winter ball experiences in Mexico, Venezuela, and the Dominican Republic, those have also gone a long way into, you know, kind of, kind of shaping my career just because those – People in the United States don't really understand how big winter ball is in the Dominican Republic. Mm. But there's 25,000 people watching a nine-game series where Fernando Rodney was our closer and all the biggest names in the Dominican Republic are playing in that. And that's, that's honestly, that's as close to the big leagues, if not more important than some of the big league outings that I've had. So I think a lot of that has, has shaped, you know, my, my pro ball experience what as well. An, what an interesting world experience, though. I mean, pitching in front of – 300 people in the Czech Republic and, you know, pitching in, in the Dominican. I mean, it's you've got some, some lifelong stories to tell there, I would imagine. Yeah, honestly, the uh, the European Championship was, was so cool just because it was like a three-week trip to Europe to where I got to go explore with, you know, my Italian teammates. And that roster is completely different than our World Baseball Classic roster because we have a lot of big leaguers, whereas that European Cup roster – you have all guys that have grown up in Italy, and the only baseball they know is Italian baseball. And so, you know, you go over there and you do that, and it's 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 really a lot of fun. And I got to see Europe through that, and uh, we we lost to the Netherlands in the gold medal game, but uh, that was that was quite the unique experience. Got to go to Oktoberfest in Germany because really? it was overlapped. It was it was a blast. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, your wife, uh, because of you know, partly financial reasons, I would guess, is not 
you know, hasn't always been with you on right. this journey, right? Like she's been here in Omaha working. Yeah, we met at Creighton in 2006, and uh, we, let's see, my pro ball career started in 2008, so from 2008 to 2014, those summers are completely long distance. Um, and that, that's, that's not easy to do because, you know, as a, on the minor league minimum, even at the highest level, I think the salary is about $2,300 a month. And obviously you can't, you can't live with your wife on the road with you like that. So she stayed home and worked. She worked at the Omaha Country Club uh, after we graduated. And finally there in 2015 when I became a minor, minor league free agent, that's the first time where it really becomes something that you can make a career out of to where you can take your family on the road with you. Even if you're not in the big leagues, it's still something to where your family can come with you. And for me, that was that was huge. You chose <laughs> Oakland or Oakland chose you? So the way it works is um, I played out my minor league career with the Yankees and five days after the World Series, the same thing that's going to happen on Monday or Tuesday, the free agency free agency period starts. And, you know, there, you hope that there's teams that call. And I think I talked to Oakland, Anaheim, and Atlanta. Those were the teams that showed interest in those first couple days. And there's you know, this could happen where I don't know where I'm going to be playing next year for like two months. It just depends what team's needs are. But that time it was fortunate. But I could tell right from the get-go that Oakland wanted me. Mm. And that's all I needed to hear. Uh, the monthly salary wasn't as big for me as a, as a minor league or as a big league spring training invite. And once they gave me that, I was like, I told my agent, you know, whatever they give me a month, take it and we'll go with it. Because at that point in time, I felt like a, a major league spring training invite would, would propel my career just because I had never gotten that invitation before where I was actually given more than one opportunity per spring to, to prove myself. A couple <clears throat> months in Nashville, you get the call, uh, and you go to Boston, you pitch that first game in Boston, then what happens? I, you know, we pitched two innings that first night, didn't pitch the next night. Sunday, we had a lead, and uh, Tyler Quippert had come in, who was our closer at the time and they scored like three or four runs off of him in the ninth. He couldn't even finish the ninth inning. So I was back in Sunday to face Pedroia, which was another cool uh, – cool, uh, In the ninth inning? Yeah, we were down, though, at the time. We were losing by a run or two. Uh, no, actually, I'm sorry, in the eighth. Yeah. It would have been the eighth inning because we were losing. But I was able to come in, get Pedroia out, and that was just kind of another confidence builder, you know, as we went back to Oakland that night. And I had a day off the next day. We had an off day, and I was right back in there the next night. So I'd been – I'd been there for four games, and I'd pitched him three of them. And I, I think I went two and a third against Texas that first game at home, pitched really well. And, you know, I, I had felt a little pain in my right shoulder mm. as I was pitching left-handed, if you can believe that. And, and there was some – when I pulled in, I could feel something wasn't right. But I didn't really say much about it. I went back to the trainer's room said, hey, my shoulder's a little tight. Let's, let's do some work on it. We had a day game the next day. I got there, and I could barely play catch. Really? So I had – you know, four games into my big league career, I was dealing with a, a you know a minor injury, and luckily I went in that day, got an MRI, everything was clean. There was just a little bit of a like a, a slap tear, nothing that required surgery, but I missed almost two months there, wow. with uh, right as my career had started. But another thing, it's it's luckily for me, I, I had had some good outings, you know, to maybe get myself a little bit of a leash, and that's how it worked out that year. And Two months later, I was able to come back. I spent a week in Nashville and then finished the season in Oakland. Uh, kind of bad luck, though, huh? Terrible luck um, at the time. But at the same point, I didn't look at it like that. I looked at it as, you know, this was kind of a, a long shot for me to ever get this opportunity. I've done pretty well with my first few opportunities. I need to 
you know make this last as long as I can. Uh, you went you went back on waivers in, in October 2015. Yep, I was uh, golfing with Coach Service, and I, I got a call from Oakland telling me that you know they had put me on waivers. They were going to take me off of the 40 man roster, which was, I was kind of expecting. Um, and Toronto had picked me up though, which was a surprise to me. And at the time, they were still playing, and I hadn't thrown in like two weeks, and they were in the playoffs. I was like, "Oh, I hope they don't need me." <laughs> I didn't know the rules that you have to be in the big leagues or you have to be in the organization before September first. So I wasn't, uh, I wasn't available anyway. But yeah, I had gotten a call from Toronto that day, and they said that they had picked me up as a left-handed reliever and to uh, you know be ready for spring training. And then you were you were in Toronto the first, basically the first half of. 2016. I, I was the last cut of spring training. Okay. Uh, we had a couple lefties go down. Uh, Cecil and Loop went down, so I was battling for that last lefty job. And they ended up taking a righty, which I kind of knew was going to happen. Uh, but 10 days into the season, I got called up. I went up and down with Toronto maybe three or four times. And that was a completely different atmosphere than Oakland. You know, you go from being probably one of the worst teams in baseball to where we were fighting for the AL East. And, uh, that was a completely different different team. You know, you're in a clubhouse with Bautista, Donaldson, Russell Martin. You know, it's just a completely different feel than Oakland, but I loved it. I loved every second of my, my time with Toronto, and those guys were great to me. Huh. Uh, and then in, in August of 2016, Toronto trades you to Seattle. Mm -hmm. Did that, you see that coming? Yeah, I, at the time I hadn't been up in the big leagues in over a month, and uh, I was kind of struggling a little bit in AAA, and I knew with them making their playoff push, I mean, it's – it's hard enough to be on the the 40-man roster in September. I knew that even if they were in the playoffs, I was probably not going to be on their 25-man roster. So I, I didn't know that I was going to get traded, but I knew I was kind of out of Toronto's plans, and that's when Seattle picked me up. Um, and that was another thing. They, they picked me up as a lefty again. And my uh, So does that mean that they don't want you to pitch as a righty then? Not necessarily. They, their main – the value that they see in right. me is, is to get left-handed left hitters out. Yeah. Right. And my first outing was in Texas. Uh, I think it was Iwakuma had started and came out of the game in like the second inning. So I came in, I pitched three innings, which was, I think, one of my longer outings to that point. But it wasn't just against lefties, you know, and luckily I had a good outing with, with Seattle. And then I had a day off and I was right back in there the next day. And that one didn't go as well, but I was getting opportunities. And then I struggled a little bit in my, my third outing and my fourth outing was like four and a third against the Angels and complete mop up. Duty, so I was like, "All right, well, this is this is the role I have. I'm gonna just need to eat innings while our team goes for the playoff push." We ended up not getting in, but uh, it was it was still an enjoyable experience in Seattle. And then you got traded uh, in March of 2017 <laughs> to the Phillies, and you spent this past six six months right. uh, in in the Phillies organization, mm -hmm. uh, mostly in AAA, right? The entire time, from start to finish, I was in uh, AAA with the Phillies. Uh, I got off to a really good start, kind of scuffled in the middle, was able to finish strong. Thought I was close to getting called up a couple times, but, you know, anytime you're in a, a team that's, you know, rebuilding, they're going to go with the younger guys. And there was, we had a bunch of young talent in AAA with guys who are beyond deserving to get called up. So it just, it didn't work out for me last season. So where does it stand? I mean, you're 32. Yep. How much, how much longer are you going <laughs> to do this? And, and what do you think is still out there for you? You know what, for me, I've told my wife, until it's no longer financially in our best interest, I'm going to keep playing baseball. Until I have to get into something else, which there's going to come a time when, you know, I'm not going to, you know, make enough in baseball to never work again. But I've known that for the last 10 years. For me, it's 
how long I can live a high quality of life with my wife, son, and my family while playing baseball. And once that day is no longer here, I'll get into something else. So you don't stress too much about it? Not, not really. Um, just because, you know, these last few years have been very, very good to me. You know, the first seven were, were so very difficult. Um, the last three have been able to, you know, kind of establish ourselves a little bit. To Financially. Where, right. To where it doesn't, you know, it's not going to make or break me if, you know, we don't have a job right away for next season in, in baseball. It's just, uh, you know, you hope you do, but it's just how it goes. But you're, about, you're with the Phillies. For until Tuesday hits, until okay. Monday or Tuesday, I'll be a Philly, and then I'll become a free agent again. Are you as good now as you were in 2015? I would have to say I'm, I'm probably the same stuff-wise, but what I know now I think has propelled me to be more of an efficient pitcher. Huh. I do a lot of things different now that I didn't do then to where— Like if you, what? If you watch baseball now and you watch how the game has evolved for these hitters, they're talking about how the ball is juiced and— no, I mean, it might be for all I know, but I don't think it is. Watch these hitters' swings. There's a huge leg kick involved in the, you know, the majority of them. They're not trying to go the other way. They're trying to hit the ball out of the park. And, you know, for me, as a pitcher, I've thought, well, if they're going to have these big high leg kicks and everything they're doing is timing-based, I need to be doing things to disrupt that timing. So, you know, if you watch, I'll probably have 15 20% of my throws where – I'm holding at the top of my leg kick to disrupt the timing of their swing. I'm quick pitching. I'm slide stepping, doing things that I never really thought to do when I first got to the big leagues just because, you know, you learn as you go. So I'm trying to incorporate that now to make up for the fact that my pitches aren't, you know, on par with the other, you know, majority of the major league pitchers, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's really, it's really interesting watching you because, you know, you're trying to get guys out um with your with your head mm -hmm. uh you don't have you know you don't have the stuff that most most seventh and eighth inning guys have right and so you, i mean i would imagine the the mental part of it is just critical isn't it it's huge for me it's everything anytime um you don't have a fastball that, that's going to beat them just on velocity like if i'm I'm going to beat guys with a fastball if it's perfectly located that's the beginning of the end of it my slider from the left side is kind of a separator pitch um that's helped me a lot in my career and I rely on that a lot but like you said it's more than anything how can I get this guy out with other things other than just the, just the pitches and there's a lot of pitchers who do that you watch a lot of the guys are kind of going off of that now like the Johnny Cueto type to where they're doing all these crazy things to disrupt that and, and it works to a certain degree huh. <clears throat> I've always wondered this too okay so you know the the simple everybody knows that you know, it's easier for lefties to get lefties out than vice than a righty to get a lefty out and vice versa. But baseball is also a game where there's a lot of nuances within the trends. Do you ever go against the grain? Do you ever uh, do you ever get a lefty up there and say, ah, you know, this guy has a hard time against my, you know, my right-handed changeup, so I'm going to go righty against him. I haven't gotten to that point to where I've done it in the game. But I've seen a pattern with certain hitters that I've faced, um, like Rugnet Odor from the Rangers. He sees my left-handed stuff very well. And I, I had it in my head after the World Baseball Classic that last year, if I ever saw him again, I was gonna pitch against him as a right-hander, just, just to see if I had better success because the stuff that I had from the left side did not play well against him. Um, there are certain hitters like that that 
Now, after experiencing it and facing them, now I would maybe change things. But you need you need a big sample size to change any of that. You know what I mean? Well, the challenge is you're almost messing with your own head if you start thinking about that stuff, right? <laughs> you know what? A little bit, but at the same time, you think, well, this guy is three for three off me in his last three at-bats. We don't know what three, three balls that he scorched. I need to do something else. So I don't think that would really play mentally as well, like in my head just because I would think, well, the other side isn't working. I need to figure out something else. You don't mess yourself up very often. No, you try to, yeah, you try to stick with uh, what's gotten you there. Do you think you ever would have gotten a shot had you not thrown with both arms? I don't think so. No, just because you look at the, the drafts the last couple of the last 10 years, there's not many, if any, guys that are getting drafted throwing in the low 80s. It's just, it's not how it is. And you weren't always low 80s right-handed, though. You were higher. No, no, but I'm saying from the left side. Yeah, right. Yeah, and, yeah absolutely. You, 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 you were over 90 with going righty. 80, I would say I was 87 and 90, maybe topping at 91 at okay. Creighton over the top. But even that, that's that's considered a, a finesse guy in the big leagues. You know what I mean? Guys 88 to 91, oh, he locates, he does this. So for me, I think that the two-handed thing was was my my only path. And you come back to to the, the stuff that I possess. The pitcher that I am probably doesn't get an opportunity professionally as uh, as just a one-handed Especially pitcher. Especially in this era. Right. And yeah, right in this era. And now you go back though and now that I have some some splits left on left and right on right, there might be a day where I am just a left-handed pitcher. Like I've come to the terms with that and if there's a team that says hey you're going to come pitch for us but it's only left-handed that's that's fine with me it's for at this point in my career it's it's my job and I have to do what I have to do I don't want to I don't want to underestimate this this fact Um, you were you were a a pretty good college pitcher um, a pretty good high school pitcher all that but you don't just get to the major leagues because you can always throw to a guy's weaker side, you know, or you can all, you know, you're always lefty, lefty, you're always righty, righty. Like, at some point, you got to be a really good pitcher. How did you get to be a really good pitcher? Not necessarily a really good thrower, but a really good pitcher. There's, there's a lot that goes into the, the lot that goes into that. <clears throat> there's a lot of people that are responsible for that. My dad. Um, Coach Hodges at Central who gave me that opportunity to pitch both left and right-handed. But I think a lot of it stems from my days at Creighton with Coach Service. I think what he's doing there is is, uh, extremely special because he gets guys year in and year out with not the best ability, you know, because he's recruiting to guys that have to have good academics and and all of these things and, and not necessarily always the best baseball players. But the way he coaches it instills so much mental toughness Hmm. alongside of the physical which as you go on in pro ball is almost more important than the physical side because to get through 140 game 160 game season you have to have the mental strength and I think that's where I got my biggest my biggest jump my biggest boost was from the the strictness I guess would be would be a word or like uh, I'm trying to think the way that Coach Service runs his program gets guys ready to play at the next level. When things are more important, he has you ready to play because of how you prepared. And I believed so much in my preparation that I was doing in Creighton, I carried it over to pro ball. And when you're on the mound, maybe in a situation to where you're overmatched, if you can go back to that preparation and know that you've prepared 
harder than anybody else, I really think it gives you that advantage mentally, and that's where I've seen that that come from. What are the what are the at bats that are going to stand out ten years from now? <laughs> what are the experiences that are going to stand out? You know, there's there's good and bad. Uh, <laughs> the good, obviously, that first night in Fenway Park, getting you know Brock Holt, getting Swihart to strike out. Uh, my the my first game that I won in Arizona in the 12th inning that last out getting Goldschmidt to fly out to right field even though it was crushed because <laughs> two nights before he took me dead center you know for a two run homer oh did he so just those 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 good ones will stand out and you know my first outing was Seattle um, where I pitched well and then my four and a third against Anaheim those will stick out but on the flip side Chris Davis with Baltimore walked me off walked us off. Uh, on a, on a Friday night in 2015 with two outs in the, the ninth inning. A broken bat single or a It was a right center home run. He, he got it out. Uh, it was maybe about six inches off the plate, but he's so strong. He still, you know, deposited it over the fence. And, that you know, anytime you get walked off in front of a big crowd in the AL East, it, it's going to – I'll never forget that. What's been your favorite interview over the years? You've done so many media things. And I imagine it, I imagine it gets a little bit old telling the same story over and over, doesn't it? You know, I don't know if I necessarily have a favorite one. It's, it's always enjoyable. Like stuff like this, it's enjoyable to, to share things that don't go into every article. You know, to maybe give a little bit about my background that no one knows about. I, I always like when I can do stuff like that. But I have a funny story here. I was, it was 2009. And I was walking through TJ Maxx in Savannah, Georgia, and I get a call. A guy says, hey, this is Rick Riley from ESPN. And I had no idea who Rick Riley was. You did it? I had no clue. So I thought it was one of my teammates playing a <laughs> prank on me. So I was like, I couldn't have been more, more of a jerk on the phone because I, I honestly, I thought it was a teammate. I didn't think this was serious. I didn't think Rick Riley was a real person. And so I, I don't even remember the short answers I gave. And I just, I kind of even hung up, I think, on the guy. And I was like, whatever, we'll just deal with this when I get on the bus. I'm going to see who it was. So I get on the bus at 2.30 to go to the field. I was like, all right, who was messing with me today? And nobody said a word. The trainer was like, are you kidding me, Pat? He's like, I gave Rick your number. And I was like, who's Rick Riley? And so I did a little Google search. I was like, oh, boy, what did I do? <laughs> So I immediately called Rick Riley and apologized profusely. I was like, I'm sorry for treating you that way. I had no idea. I meant no disrespect. Um, and because he, he was calling to do a piece, I think he might have been with ESPN, the magazine at that point for the back page story. So that was uh, probably one of my most unique experiences. Oh, Having man. to make that call was, was tough. That's classic. <laughs> um, one of the cool, I, I don't know if, I don't know how you would, what kind of experience or feedback you've gotten, but there's like more of these guys now, you know, there's, I saw CBS News, you know, had a story on a kid from, I think, New York, uh, Vanderbilt had a picture, mm -hmm. I don't know if you're responsible for this, <laughs> but, but there's like, you know, other dads that are, other coaches that are teaching their kids to do this. Yeah, you know, and I actually got to meet that kid from Vanderbilt because when I was in Nashville, it's right down the street from Vandy's campus, and he pitched in the SEC and had a fair amount of success. I think he ended up transferring out just because he wasn't getting the workload that he wanted. Um, but to pitch in the SEC, both left and right-handed, is extremely hard to do. And I think another thing that, that kind of goes into this that maybe these kids don't realize now, as you get going into a game and you face three righties in a row, it's been four minutes since you've thrown a pitch left-handed. 
and you need to maybe locate a slider with guys on second and third. That's, I think, the hardest part that these guys are going to have to deal with. It's not the, the training and things like that. I think it's the mental side and having success for a long period enough, a long, a long time enough to where you can prove yourself. I think that's where the challenges are. I hadn't come. thought of that. I mean, you, you get out of the groove, don't you? Yeah, it, it's, it's something that you have to deal with, and it, it never gets easier. You try to do the best you can, you train for that in the off season. But uh, it's it's always hard. Have you ever felt like – have you ever gone into a game and felt like, man, I just – I can't locate today with my right side or with my right arm or left arm, and so I'm just going to stick with <laughs> – do you ever, do you, ever uh, you know, <laughs> rule one out or put one in timeout, so to speak? You know, there's, there's nights more often than you would like, especially when you're playing, you know, six months in a row in the summer to where you don't have anything. Um, and there's a lot of nights where I don't have maybe my best stuff from the right side, but I've never really gotten to the point where I'll just go left-handed just because that left-handed stuff, it's still better left on left even when I'm having a bad day than to use my right right on left, if that makes sense. I have pitched around, guys. If there's a lefty on deck and I know my right-handed stuff isn't that good that day, I'm going to get to that lefty on deck to face him or vice versa. The days you really don't want to have is when they're both bad. And that's, <laughs> that's when the, uh, the nightmares start. I hope you're keeping your jerseys because you've, <laughs> you've probably played on, what, 15 or 20 different teams? I have quite a few. And my, uh, my little sister teaches second grade at Castellar Elementary, and they had jersey day last week. And they have a lot of Hispanic students in her school. And it was cool because not only was I able to send my Oakland jersey with her to wear, I was also able to, to send my Los Mochis, which is a team down in the Mexican League, you know, deep in the, the southern part of Mexico, to where she could show her students, hey, look, my brother has, has played where, you know, a lot of your ancestry comes from, and the students loved it. You know, that has, like, the Tecate sponsorships all over the jerseys, the Telcel. So from a jersey standpoint, uh, I, I have saved quite a few How of them. How about the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs? I mean, that's about as good as it gets. We had so many nice, you know, they're, they're the only minor league team that's sponsored by, Maj by Majestic because they're right there in Allentown. We had a different uniform for every night of the week. You know, Bacon USA with strips of bacon across where the pant leg striping is just a giant strip of bacon. We had a lot of cool uniforms. What's the best minor league promo that you've seen? <sighs> best minor league promo. Um... Personally, when uh, Staten Island had the two-handed bobblehead, that was the nicest one that had ever come from me. In Charleston, they had reversible T-shirts that one was gray. It said LHP Vendetti, and then the other side was navy blue RHP, so they would have them flip them out when I would switch hands during the really? game. Really? Was it distracting? It's kind of a fiasco because the guy would just walk, the, the PA announcer would walk the stands because it's, you know, it's entertainment at its finest. But uh, that was probably the most interesting one. So he's walking around, like, telling people, so, yeah, you know, we got a left-handed hitter coming up. Flip the jerseys inside out and switch the seats with the person next to you. <laughs> <laughs> so you're in there thinking, all right, it's the ninth inning. I got to get this guy out. There's also a circus going on in the stands right now. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Where I Come From. If you want to check out our full library of episodes, go to omaha.com slash podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Thanks to Bird Creek for the music. You can send feedback on this episode or any others to Dirk period at owh.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.